Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. More twists in the RTE secret pay scandal. In an explosive statement released this evening, RTE places former Director General D. Forbes firmly at the centre of the controversy. Earlier today, it was confirmed the former DG won't attend any of the hearings into payments to Ryan Tuberty because of health reasons. Betrayed, disappointed and angry RTE staff stage a protest around 200 gathered in Donnybrook demanding answers. Who would have known? I mean, that we have secret payments been made. My colleagues are some of the most hard-working people. I'm sorry, I'm upset, but it's just so annoying. You join our conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight, VMTV. Earlier this evening, RTE released their eagerly anticipated statement on the Ryan Tuberty secret payment scandal. In a nine-page outline, the broadcaster details how the payments were made to Tuberty and also acknowledges how former Director General Dee Forbes was the only member of the executive board with enough information to understand that the publicly declared figures for Ryan Tuberty's salary could have been wrong. Virgin Media News correspondent Richard Chambers has more. RTE had promised a comprehensive statement on the overpayments to Ryan Tuberty between the years of 2020 and 2022. Running to nine pages, there is no mistaking who the broadcaster is pointing the finger of blame at, and that's Dee Forbes, the now former Director General. In summary, the broadcaster's interim deputy DG, Adrian Lynch, said that no member of the RTE executive board other than the Director General, had all the necessary information in order to understand that the publicly declared figures for Ryan Tuberty could have been wrong. Of crucial importance was the three-way agreement between RTE, Ryan Tuberty's agent Noel Kelly, and commercial partner Renault, which saw RTE on the hook for two payments of €75,000 to Ryan Tuberty. The report says the three-party agreement between the commercial partner, the agent and RTE was arranged by the commercial director at the direction of the director general. It went on to say the director general verbally agreed to underwrite the terms of the commercial agreement. The report says there was no illegality and no wrongdoing on behalf of Ryan Tuberty or on the part of Renault. That's not likely to be the end of the matter. Virgin Media News approached D Forbes for a response through a spokesperson. We were told no response would be issued. Now here to discuss this further is Mick Clifford, special correspondent with the Irish Examiner, Labour Senator and member of the Oireachtas Media Committee, Annie Hoey, Fine Gael Senator John McGahan, from the National Union of Journalists, Seamus Dooley. And on Skype, we have broadcaster and host of The Stand podcast, Eamon Dunphy. 
and former RTE News correspondent Damien Tiernan, now a WLR presenter. You're all very welcome to this programme. So much to get to Mick because this was a certainly a long, I don't know if it was comprehensive, but certainly a long statement. But the crux of it is that no one had full knowledge of this full deal other than D Forbes. Yeah, Kira, it's nearly a question of blame it on the DG, you know. I mean, uh, even some of the language that was in that statement, nobody but the, the DG, according to him, the, the Director General, had the capacity to understand that there was a discrepancy between the uh, published figures for Ryan Tuberty's salary and, and that which he received. Like, what understanding is there? Either someone had knowledge that an extra payment was made that was not recorded in the public figures, or they did not. There's also references to a number of people on the executive committee knew a bit of this or a bit of that, but the only one, according to this statement, with all the full pieces of the jigsaw was D Forbes. And to be honest with you, it's just way, way too convenient. Mm. D Forbes has resigned Irrespective of that, she was going to retire within the next few weeks. Um, she's out the door. Therefore, there's, it would appear from this statement very much a circling of the wagons. Those of us who are left here now, nothing to do with us, Gov, and we should just uh, move on. And is the statement from RT Today at odds with the statement that Dee Forbes herself published yesterday, where she said that she did not act contrary to any legal advice and she spoke about having dealings with the finance department and the legal departments and so on. Yeah, and uh, in fairness, it was said today there was nothing illegal about any of it. So in, in terms of the legality that she referenced, absolutely. But, but it's the awareness. Yes, it's the awareness. And she, she also stated that she led the team that negotiated this. Now, if you were to read RT's statement today, there was no leading. It was a leader without followers. She was out there on her own. And I don't think it washes, to be honest with you. And ideally, and as I understand, it's not going to happen, but I think at least half of the executive committee were referenced today of, as having some part or role in this affair, this negotiation. They should all be appearing before the Oireachtas Committee. There is no reason why they would not or should not do so. All you have to do is look at any of these committees. You'll see people like, for example, just an example, the Garda Commissioner might come in there with five or six people. Similarly, other people from big organisation. There is nothing whatsoever to stop all of these people being present before the Oireachtas, simply to find out what are the facts and particularly why. Why was it done? That statement also referenced a pushback. So in other words, they pushed back against this notion that RTE would have to underwrite what Renault had, yet in the end, they caved into it. Why? Why did they cave into that? And what also came out from the statement is, I suppose, two things. First of all, that Ryan Tuberty, they said, no wrongdoing, and that he wasn't aware of the credit note aspect of the deal. So this is that Renault would pay the 75000 and then RTE would issue a credit note back. So ultimately, the taxpayer was on hook for that. We don't know if he was aware, though, that if that sponsorship deal or that commercial deal fell through, that RTE would ultimately be on the hook for the rest of those payments. Yeah, and look, the, the one thing I would say is, is um, Ryan Tuberty is paying a commis commissioner's price for um, lack of judgment and that type of thing. I'm, I'm just wary at, at a stage, you just wonder whether the fellow appears to be the subject of a pylon at this stage and, and that. But having, having said that, you know, there's some very obvious issue here and that is there are published figures about his salary. <clears throat> there is what he received as a salary from whatever quarters and that be in curiosity about that at a time when everybody else in RT was taking such a cutback, at a time 
when there was COVID and there was severe hardship right across society. The incuriosity in, in questioning his salary is something I think, for his own point of view, he'd do well to, to, to address one way or the other. OK, I just want to go to you, Eamon Dermphy, because obviously you worked within this organisation for a long, long time. What do you make of today's promised comprehensive statement? Is it that? Well, first of all, it was uh, promised at three o'clock and it didn't arrive until 10 to 6, 10 minutes before 6-1 went uh, to air. I think we actually received Sec it here, Eamon, at about 5.29. We got it just about a minute before we yes, went on air, but, but it was, two it was and much a, later. And two much and a half hours after he was flagged. Um, secondly, um, I quote Peter Feeney, uh, who's the former head of broadcast compliance in RTE, and Peter Feeney is a very respected man. He's just been on prime time, and he said today's statement um, makes matters worse, and it does. It's designed really uh, to um, uh, throw sand in the eyes of the reader. Um, and its main purpose is to identify D Forbes, who is resigning and who is unwell and who can't appear before the Oireachtas Committee. And we just bear in mind, Angela Kearns, the chief executive of Rehab, took her case to the Supreme Court and they found in her favour when she was pressured by the Public Accounts Committee. So we have to be careful here. This, D. Forbes did not orchestrate and agree this uh, payment. And by the way, not many people know, there's two more 75,000s to be paid in 24 and 25. So this was a five year contract. After yes. All. Yes. Now, so how much of a mistake was it, Eamon, then to not come out and answer all of the questions comprehensively today? Well, that depends on how the minister ma manages this matter. She first learned there was something wrong in March. The auditors uh, made a phone call on St. Patrick's Day looking for the Audit and Risk Committee in RTE from someone. Now, uh, they don't usually work on Patrick's Day, but the night before, Ryan Tuberty announced on air that he was leaving the Late Late Show. So the minister has to act on our behalf to get accountability. These, this statement today will is designed to, shall we say, not to clarify. I've read it three times and it's unclear, except it makes one point and it insists that no member of the executive board knew about this arrangement. Now, I've described it before as a grubby little stroke, and that's exactly what it was. And somebody must bear responsibility for that. In Ryan Tuberty's first, I'll finish with this for the moment. In Ryan Tuberty's first uh, response, he said it was nothing to do with him, and he wasn't responsible for RTE's errors. Well, 24 hours later, he had to issue a second. Uh, statement in which he apologised unreservedly. Now, you look at the people we know, that I know 40 years I've been working in there, how angry they, Seamus Dooley will tell you, how angry, 
how they're taking pay cuts, how they're out the door. Never mind getting uh, finding uh, an extra hundred and twenty thousand in their bank account and not being able to explain it. And the, there's no illegality that we know of at the moment, but there is deception on a scale that is absolutely outrageous. This is the public's money. These people work for the public. They've lied to the public and they lied to the government and they're lying to the people repeatedly and they haven't stopped. Okay, I want you to stay with us, Eamon Dunn, because there's a lot more to discuss within the statement. But you mentioned there the protests and the anger at RTE. We know 200 staff came out in Donnybrook and indeed they came out um, at their other bureaus across the country. Let's just have a quick listen to what some of them had to say. We want the rot to end. We want answers to all the questions we have. But most of all, we want... We want this to be used to benefit public service broadcasting in Ireland. We want answers. We want the truth out. Truth matters. We're always saying that. We're always telling people that. We want the truth for everybody, for all of us staff who've been so badly let down, so badly let down, and the people of Ireland have been let down. Who would have known? I mean, that we have secret payments been made to one individual in the organisation that the board don't know about, that the finance department don't know about. I mean, they're serious issues. They may be legal, but are they ethical and moral? I'm an employee here for 30 years, but the people I'm thinking an awful lot about are the freelancers. I was a freelancer myself once, who are paid here, here. a pittance. Here, here. Who are paid nothing. Seamus Dilley, I want to go with you. They were chanting at the end of that protest, we want answers, when do we want them now? Have they got them after this statement? No. Absolutely not. I think there are, we, we now know what happened. We are told who was involved, and there is a debate about that. But for me, the big question is why? Why was I lied to? Why, when I sat across from a table uh, to do, with uh, the Director General, with whom the book stops, was I lied to? Why was I deceived? Because when we went in and we were given figures, we were told that that percentages uh, cuts were taken by the top talent. We were not told there was a grubby little side deal. Uh, and I don't, you know, this is not a witch hunt for anyone. But trust is essential in an employment relationship. When you stand up as a trade union official and tell people that they have to accept pay cuts, that they have to, uh, there's going to be voluntary redundancies, that you're not going to have resources to, do the pro to make the programmes you want to make. When you, have, when you do all of that, and then you find you have, been, you have been lied to, it is no wonder that people are angry and very angry. And then you find that there is a deal which was very good for Noel Kelly, very good for Ryan Tuberty, and on the underwriting of the payment, that was done on behalf of Ryan Tuberty by Noel Kelly. So good for Noel, good for Ryan, great for Renault. Renault end up with RTE paying for receptions and RTE staff actually providing their facilities. But in my view, bad for RTE, bad for the staff, and bad for public broadcasting in Ireland. Yeah, uh, John McGowan, one of the other aspects of the statement today, and I think Dee Forbes alluded to the fact that she had sort of inherited some contract terms when she was involved in these negotiations. She said there was an end of contract fee, an exit fee, as it were. We need more information on what 
those terms were, don't we? And how that exit fee was going to work. Absolutely. Uh, and I really hope that information will come forward at the committee tomorrow, because as everyone has said so far, it's very clear that RT have A, misled the public when the published accounts they gave a figure that they knew was wrong. B, they've misled the Oireachtas. When D Forbes appeared before PAC previously was asked about salary, she gave the, a different figure knowing that was wrong. Do you so, believe there's other people outside of D Forbes who have questions to answer? Hugely. And I, and I think that statement from RT earlier was throwing D Forbes under the bus. Uh, exactly what Mick had said. We're, we've nothing to do with this. We don't know. This person has resigned and we can't fix this, but we're trying our best. So where do we move forward from this? What can we do? Well, what I think our RT have a real opportunity is to fill in all the gaps because there are genuine questions of concern here. Come clean tomorrow, lay all your cards on the table, give us a full account of exactly what happened. Don't hide behind someone has resigned. Don't hide behind these are commercial interests. Don't hide behind we're just trying to fix this mess. Come utterly clean, lay your cards on the table and let us, the taxpayers of this country, know exactly what has happened. Well, uh, Annie Hoey, you're on that media committee tomorrow. First of all, do you know who's going to appear before you from or on behalf of RTE uh, at this point? The last I checked, we had two names confirmed. Shifra and Adrian were, go were going to be coming in. Uh, the, we have been told that there may be further uh, names confirmed tomorrow, but that you know, I mean, the invitation went out yesterday. So the last I checked on the, 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 the email, those were the two names that have been confirmed that are going to be coming okay, in. Okay, so this is Adrian Lynch, who is acting DG at the moment, who I think said in the statement wasn't aware of anything that was happening. And the second name is it Shifra. Shu and Rally, is it? Oh my goodness, right. Shu and Rally. Okay, so the chair <laughs> of what she was... For, is it RT being like me? No, oh, no. no uh, I think it's Shu and Rally who is the chair since yes. November. Again, a person who said she knew nothing about this deal. And in fairness, she's only in the door um, seven months. So how can you get answers to questions when you have two people who say they knew nothing? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be pretty challenging. We're going to hope that they're fairly well briefed as to what happened. I hope, as I said, I hope that more people who have been invited will confirm tomorrow that they're coming. Um, we obviously don't know the full amount of that. I mean, I think everyone on the committee has a lot of questions. Um, and and if we can't get the answers tomorrow, obviously there's another session with the PAC, the PAC committee, which is the Public Accounts Committee, and um, there'll be a different set of people in there. So there's two rounds. You know, hopefully we don't have to go into a second round on, on Thursday. You know, there's two opportunities for RTE to answer questions. Well, what question uh, have you got for them? Well, I think the, my big thing is really around workers, you know, obviously first solidarity with the workers and a lot of whom we've seen who are very frustrated. How they can tally being you know, a public service who's supposed to be doing public good um, and how, uh, how they tally that with you know, this exit payment, all of these things, when we've got women who weren't getting maternity pay, we've got people who are on bogus contracts, we've got people on zero-hour contracts. And what I really like to know is, is RRT going to commit to, to tomorrow in public ending every single ounce of that? You know, can they put on the public record tomorrow that there will be not a single soul on a bogus employment contract, that there will be absolutely no one on a zero-hour contract. Well, the, the, but that's never going to happen, is it, Mick Clifford? Because we've heard from this organisation for a long time that they do not have the money to offer those permanent staff contracts because with it comes certain entitlements. So that's not going to happen. It's, it's, it's not going to, ha going it's to, not going to happen. It should, but I mean, you know, the issue, we're not talking about a fraud around here. There was nothing illegal. What we're talking Does about... Does that reassure is, you that it wasn't really illegal? Well, there was no reason to believe that it was anyway. But I mean, that, that, the issue, the principal issue here was public trust. The, the public service broadcaster, the, its leading broadcaster, at a time when it's, most of its staff, apart from the rest of society, were going through very tough times. And if we're talking about public trust, then what RT needs to do is anybody 
who had any input or knowledge whatsoever of what was going on to come in before the committee. And are they're studiously avoiding going... doing that. Yeah, I'm just, that was my question. Are you confident that that is going to happen? No, it's, it's, it's quite obviously from so far, the names they've put out there, those two individuals don't know anything firsthand about this issue. So why are the people who were involved at any level, according to RT's own statement today, why are they not sitting there in doing their best to restore public trust in the organisation. OK, so John, if we are not going to have the answers tomorrow because the people involved don't have the answers, have said they don't know, what are the government going to do to get those we answers? I'll be very clear about this. We will keep calling them in day after day to Oireachtas committees if we have to, because it is not acceptable for people to walk into an Oireachtas committee tomorrow on Thursday and say, oh, I don't know, oh, we don't have the answers. So if it is a case that TDs and senators will take, I will sit all day and night until I get these answers of the, as a member of the Oireachtas. Annie will as well, other people will too. So but if it's a to case accept, that RT, you have to keep coming, we will... That she will not appear before this Oireachtas committee. The reasons given are medical grounds. There's a letter from the GP. She can't, I imagine, be compelled. I accept that and, I, and, and I'm wishing Dee all the best in her ill health at the moment. And what I would say is Dee has come along and given one side of the story. The RT board have given another side of the story and the truth is somewhere in the middle. So what we need to find out is three key things. Who knew about the transactions? Who signed off about the transactions? When will the Grant Thornton report be published which talks about the previous money prior to 2019? There are three three key questions I won't answer tomorrow. Okay, uh, Damien, I want to go to you um, because I was struck at the scale of anger, I have to say, at that protest today. And so many well-known faces. We saw Paul Reynolds, M. O'Kelly, Paul Cunningham, Orla O'Donnell. It was quite extraordinary to see your ex-colleagues out there protesting angry. Yeah, my heart bleeds for them. It really does, because I was talking to a lot of them this evening and you see Sinead Hussey crying there today. The stress and the strain that they're under doing their job, they feel cheated. And I predicted last week that, you know, they're going to blame it or try and pin it on one person. That's what's happened. Surprise, surprise. They're telling me tonight, the staff are telling me tonight, oh, look, isn't it convenient that it's all D Forbes's fault? Also, the prediction last week was that nothing illegal was going to be found. And I doubted that something would be found. And that's proven to the case at present. But I think that has to be investigated further. I also think, illegal or not, the publicised earnings of Ryan Torberty were misstated, full stop. Ryan Torberty was being paid more than we knew for five years. And that was wrong. Five years. So this is about right and wrong. And RTE management were wrong in how they did it. And obviously, we want to wish D Forbes the very best. It would be great if the PAC and the other committee could ask D Forbes, could she give a statement? Could she not appear by Zoom or by Skype, maybe even next week? Did anybody in RTE not ask D Forbes, was Ryan Torberty's annualised pay as stated? And if they didn't, then they didn't do their job right. So there's serious governance issues. How could the executive board allow a system that allowed one member of that board no stuff and then decide stuff without their knowledge. And again, tonight, tens of thousands of people getting their ESB electricity bills. And the three words that they'll be probably thinking tonight are three I's, inequity, inequality, and the ingenious ways in which Ryan Torberty was paid. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 340,000 more than his stated salary. So there's anger tonight because the trust in the national broadcaster has been broken. And the RT statement, in my opinion, and the statement of my former colleagues, that doesn't remake that trust. Okay. It's like having an affair on somebody, doing the dirt on somebody. If you lose that trust, you might never get that trust back. And if I was on the board of RTE, I'd resign. I'd resign in anger. I think the entire RTE board should resign to be seen to be doing the right thing. And I also predict that the committees tomorrow and the next day are going to be damn squibs. I don't think we're going to get very much information out okay, of them. Okay, I just want to go to uh, Seamus Dooley because you were shaking your head at that. Do you disagree uh, with that comment? I do, and I, I, I don't often disagree with my NUJ colleague Damien, but on this one, I think it's very important to say, first of all, I think it is very important that Sean O'Rahilly appears tomorrow as chair of the board. I think that the executive board and the Audit and Risk Committee acted immediately and in good faith as soon as the uh, auditors threw to the retention. I don't think they should be criticised for meeting on Patrick's Day. Uh, I think the responsibility for answering questions is with the executive board, the extremely well-paid executive board, and in fairness, unlike the top earners, we don't know what they earn. No, and actually I wanted to ask uh, Eamon Dunphy about that because there is so much focus when it comes to RTE on the pay of the top 10 earners. We learn this every couple right. of years. Is this sometimes used as a smokescreen, do you think, Eamon, given the fact that we had reports last year of 120 people working within the RTE organisation yes. who earn in excess of 100,000 of a salary, and we yes. have no idea who these people are or what their role is or how they earn their money? No, and we've no idea what the executive board are earning. I tell you from my own experience, in 2009, I thought I was being paid too much. And I rang Noel Curran, who was the head of RTE at the time. And I said, I want to take a 10% cut, which is 30,000 pounds. And I took it because I was looking all around me um, in my family and my neighbors and my friends at the suffering. I thought it was too much. And what were you and I said, at I that don't point, want... ask an Eamon? Well, 10% of 30,000, uh, you're a Donegal woman. Uh, it's, it's about 300,000. I had this radio programme, which was doing very well, mm. and the football. But it was too much, in my opinion. Now, Ryan Tuberty was earning 170000 uh, in 2011. These were different times. But the point, on, the, the, the point I want to make is this. Sometimes you need to do the right thing because, as everyone knows, you're nothing as a high earner, as a personality, as a journalist. 
for, you work for the people and without the trust of the people, you're nothing. And without the affection and trust of the people. And that's what I did. Now, if you multiply that 30,000 over the next five or six years I was in RTE, it's quite a, a sum of money. The point, the reason I make that is not to uh, make myself look good, but to contrast this grubby little stroke at a time of COVID when people are absolutely losing their jobs, their businesses and everything with my attitude. There is another point about deception. Last Thursday night on the 6-1 News, David McCullough interviewed Chuani Rally. I rang David at the weekend. I said, when you interviewed Chuani Rally on Thursday at 6.30, had you been told that the Director General had been suspended 24 hours earlier? He said no. So they allowed 6-1 News and its very respected anchor and the people working on it to remain ignorant of a sensational fact. Which I think they said the, the, was, was all down to due process, this phrase we hear time and time again. Well, no, no, just... no, no. It's a material fact that, uh, that it was necessary for the public to know. And they, they need to know. I, D Forbes is being used here as a patsy. The executive board are the people who make the programs, who hire the talent, and who decide what the talent is paid. It then goes up the line to the DG, and I, as a hire, I know this, and they almost always sign off on it. Okay, and That's I the way it works. Okay, I think in this case, they said the DG actually led these opening negotiations. Just one final question I have for you, uh, Eamon Dunphy. It was a comment I think that Mix made at the beginning about a pylon here, potentially on Ryan Tuberty. Do you have any sympathy for any of the parties here? Um, I don't have any sympathy for any of the parties, no. I, I have, I tell you who I have sympathy for, the workers, the people from okay. 61 News, the people who work in the building uh, as cameramen and women, as uh, researchers, all the people who uh, Seamus referred to that he represents. Right. I have great sympathy for some, you know, a, a colleague who I, because of a colleague, who broke down crying tonight when she was talking to the camera. All right, this is I mean, having a real impact have on people. And I want to make one last point. RTE are not going to come clean. The government and the minister must represent the people on this matter. If they don't, they should be out of office. All right. OK, well, look, we're going to leave it there. Um, my thanks to Seamus Dooley, to Damon Chiernan and to Eamon Dumphy for joining us on that. After the break, we're going to be joined by communications expert Owen Tomás McDermott with his view on that controversial statement and where we go next. Very welcome back. Mick Clifford, Annie Howey and John McGahan have stayed with me and they are now joined by Managing Director of the Communications Clinic, Owen Tomás McDermott. Uh, Owen, you're very welcome to the programme. How do you think communications have been handled by RTE and the other parties involved in this to date? 
do you want the short answer? Badly, I would say, and I think we can all agree with it. I think we had to look at it from RTE's perspective. They haven't showered themselves in glory that if you think about it from day one, the communication has not been good. And for example, the limited amount of spokespeople that they have provided to media on a limited amount of outlets uh, is not good, nor would they accept it from others. When you can imagine now a corporate, for example, that gets themselves in trouble and has RTE knocking on their door asking them for interviews, will say, well, hang on a second, why would we dance to your tune when you didn't dance to your own tune? So in relation to that aspect, you'd have to say the communication hasn't been good. If you look at Ryan's perspective, the first statement wasn't good and you rarely, if ever, want to go back and have to do it a second time. So the second statement wasn't good either. In relation to the report from RTE today, I think it's extraordinary. I think it's extraordinary in a number, a number of areas. In one area being that the Director General seems to be the only person who had all of the pieces of this puzzle, which is extraordinary and it implies it's either a very siloed and secretive organisation or there are perhaps gaps within this. It is also extraordinary that the Director General and Editor-in-Chief, because though it is a double job and they maintain the journalistic standards within RT, allowed misinformation to be put out over years in relation to people's salaries. That's extraordinary. And then it is extraordinary that this side deal was done in the first place, that uh, RT's most significant broadcaster had a side deal done uh, on his behalf, and that is extraordinary. So the, the, the communications in short care wasn't good, but I think it's a case study for future uh, crises um, and there's a huge amount of learning from it. In terms of some of the main players now, who do we need to hear from at this point? Well, the obvious person you would say would be D Forbes because it seems that according to this statement that uh, she is the only person with all of the answers. I think Ryan, in terms of for himself, there are still some questions, for example, to be answered. What's striking is all of the top 10 performers or all top 10 uh, broadcasters uh, in terms of salaries have announced what they're earning. The only one who hasn't is Ryan Toberty. So we currently don't know what he is earning minus his late, late salary, which will be interesting to see what the five hours a week will contribute to there. So that's a question. We also, also don't know what the new Late, late show Precisely. So the airing. question is, are we getting it for, are, are, are the Irish public getting it as more expensive for the same output or is it going to be cheaper when we compare Kilty plus Tuberty versus Tuberty on his own? And then the other question that I think really has to be answered is, was Ryan aware of the side deal? We are certainly clear that he was unaware that there was the credit note provided, but certainly the other question has to be, was he aware of this side deal uh, in, in, in its essence? Um, Mick, we heard today from the minister that you know she had these very specific questions and also that there's going to be this external review. Do we have any idea who is going to head that up, how long it's going to take, what the terms of reference are and who they can compel to speak to them? Yeah, we don't, uh, Kira. I mean, and when you hear internal review, uh, well, when I hear it, basically all I hear is the never, never. It's going to be sometime in the future. And it, it would strike me to some extent that even in terms of RT's statement today, that there, to the extent that there may be a strategy, it's let's push this out, push this out. Eventually there'll be a report. It'll be issued in six or eight months. The caravan will have moved on. People will not As be bothered anymore. As it inevitably does. As it inevitably does. And people will not be bothered anymore. And you know, the problem is, that's all very well for individuals looking after their own concerns. But in terms of the organisation, the fact that there seems to be, from the executive element of it anyway, not the non-executive board or, or, or the current chair, but from the executive element, there seems to be an attitude towards this of individuals ensuring that no blame comes on themselves. Now, there seems to be no focus on the fact of what can we do in order to restore 
trust in this organisation. OK, I suppose one of the things that would restore trust is finding out who is coming before the Public Accounts Committee. And surely, John, you would expect a number <clears> of <throat> directors that are mentioned in the report today who, it would, was claimed, don't know everything about this deal, but knew something about this deal. You would expect them to come forward, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And I think that would also send the right message mm -hmm. uh, by sending in, like we sit on committees where I've sat in committees where I've had seven or eight witnesses from one organisation. It is a common thing that you would have regular witnesses. So in terms of showing a little bit of humility, in terms of showing a willingness to engage with the Oireachtas, to want to set the record straight by sending in as many people as possible, to have as many answers as possible, would be a really keen thing to do. Can we trust the current executive board to bring about the governance changes that are clearly necessary there? I think because there's been such a public furor over this, that there's been such a controversy over this, it would be inexplicable in the extreme to say that they wouldn't introduce wide-ranging changes that they'll have to do it because there is now... Now what does that look like? Because I did hear one commentator today saying perhaps some individuals need to step aside while these investigations, external reviews, call them what you want, um, are carried so out. Some of the things from that could be uh, how does the culture within RT change? Because on one hand, you have the board saying that DU Forbes was nearly acting like a rogue agent. And if that is the case, then surely where one person is making, calling all the shots, well, surely that's something wrong with the culture. So that's something that could be changed. One thing that I think should really come out of this is that I think all of RTE's top earners should have some sort of a register of interests, similar to what I have to fill in as a politician and Annie. It should be public knowledge what side deals they're making. It should be public knowledge what income they're getting elsewhere. And that would add a greater level of transparency. If I did something wrong... Is that just fair for the presenters? Well, in relation to that, I'm not sure in relation to the, the presenters having to share it, given that they're private citizens. I think if you're looking at development of trust, no, typically what often happens in an organisation is there's a bit of a clear out at the top level. One could argue that has happened with D4s moving and Kevin Backhurst coming in. There's also the cliche of don't ruin a, a great crisis or make the most of a crisis. And so there is an opportunity to get someone from outside to do a full review into the structure and the governance of it. I think that'd be useful. And I think when you look back at an organisation who's managed to get their reputation back, you'd say, look at, at something like the central bank who back in 08 09 their trust in the public or trust in the public was very low within it and they brought in Patrick Honahan as the governor they brought in uh, Matthew Elderfield as well as head of banking regulation and there was a restructure and an emphasis on certain aspects of expertise and it has gotten to its point now where people mightn't like what they do but they respect it and trust it that is something that RTE may need to look at in terms of a restructuring it and focusing but on a very basic mm. level how they negotiate with their talent and how they negotiate with their commercial partners needs to be looked at. Yeah, one of the other th signs I saw yesterday was pay cap. Pay cap being held up by a lot of RTE staff. Yeah, I mean, the reality the, of that. Kiss me, but one other thing I just would issue a note of caution on and that is, you know, RTE, let's park for a second what's going on. There is a funding problem there. There is an issue over how it's been funded. The, the, the method is out of date, this business of the licence fee, and there's supposedly a review going on that's been suspended, why it has to be. I would just be cautious of this. I'm very sure there are a lot of people in Leinster House that there's an element of glee that this is going on for various reasons, that there's always tension there between the national broadcaster and particularly the bigger parties, and for various reasons, they'd be quite happy that RT are the ones having to answer the difficult questions. And but this it was, business I think, a of point that Paul baby... Cunningham, didn't he, made today... Exactly, yeah, but throwing the baby out with the bathwater... We've been waiting for this reform a long time, don't make us wait longer. Is yeah, throwing the baby one. out with the bathwater. There's a huge lot of good that's done, particularly in the journalism side in RT, and I just would have a note of caution about how far the body politic may want to go in, in 
well, to use a phrase, teaching them a lesson or whatever, you know? Okay, just finally that issue of pay caps. What do you think, Annie? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the transparency and accountability in it, like, I, I, I have no issue with pay cap. You know, you have to track good talent, but the argument, you know, I think only two major players really have left RT over, the, you know, do you know what I mean? This argument that they had to keep doing it in order they've, to... Yeah, they've gone elsewhere within the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 it's a small country, it's a small pool. So I think pay, uh, pay caps are, are a reasonable thing to discuss. I think that really... Uh, very clear accountability and transparency. I appreciate you know what private citizens and putting things out there. But that doesn't mean RTE can't make things very clear. How do we decide people's salary? How do we decide what people are worth? And this is the very clear, transparent thing. If you work in cleaning in RTE, all the way up to being one of our top presenters, this is how we pay you. This is how we value your work. And this is a very clear process. All right, look, we're going to have to leave that there for now. My thanks to Owen for coming in and joining us this evening. Coming up after the break, prices for a three-bed semi-D in Dublin hit a half a billion euro for the very first time. We're going to discuss that after the break. Now, prices for a Dublin semi-D recently hit a record-breaking €500,000, 14% higher than they were during the Celtic Tiger. This comes as a new ESRI report claims that a third of Irish wages are paid by multinational enterprises. Mick Clifford, Annie Hoey and John McGahan have stayed with me and they're joined by economist and author of that report, John Fitzgerald. John, you're very welcome to the programme. So there's been real rapid growth in this highly paid employment from the multinational sector. How secure first is the pay levels that they're receiving and those jobs? Um, I think the jobs and pay are secure. Like, I, I'm old enough to remember the 1970s and people said, ah, oh, these foreign firms, they're fly by night. And all the evidence is they last longer than Irish firms. So I think the employment is pretty secure and the wages. What about then the corporate tax that they generate? Uh, that's something we hear time and time ahead, again, from economists and from uh, government, that that is insecure money and not something we should be spending. It is insecure. If the US acted in its own best interests, they would change US tax law to make it like European tax law and a lot of the profits would flow to the United States. I was at a conference in Washington in March 2018 and everybody knew about the Irish corporation tax because that's part of their profits, uh, which happens to be located here. So it is insecure, but for the next two or three years, I think, uh, it's not going to change. You require uh, 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 the Republicans and Democrats to agree to make a change. And I don't see that in the immediate future. Mm, it is interesting because Donald Trump, potentially the next uh, president of the United States, did say that Ireland has done a great job at alluring that FDI away from the US. He said it years ago. He said it again, I think, in March of this year. Yeah, but you've got to get the two houses of, of uh, in the United States to agree on something. Um, and that's going to be difficult. OK, so the big question now then is what to do with this excess uh, corporation tax. What do you think the government should do? I think it should save it at the moment. The problem is the government has loads of money and there's lots of things we'd like. We'd like more houses, we'd like more roads, we'd like to uh, uh, get rid of carbon emissions, all of which means actually building things in Ireland. And the problem is you can't go to IKEA and buy a house and push it up tomorrow morning. You've got to build it. You can't go and buy a road kit in a, a shop and lay it out on the carpet. You've got to build it. 
And there's only so much that we can build at the moment. There's capacity restraints there, yeah. that you're saying. Okay, in terms of the standard of living here, you also looked at that. What did you find? Um, the data suggests that in terms of how much we're spending, households and government uh, services, that we're a bit below the average. But that's partly because we're saving a load of money. And why uh, we're saving more than everybody else, I'm not quite sure. Um, but we are. Um, so those savings will allow us, when the capacity frees up, to build more, to have a higher standard of living in the future. So yes, we probably have a slightly lower standard of living than, say, the United Kingdom, but long-term, uh, it's likely to be higher. And you also looked, I suppose, at the role of housing in terms of people's standard of living here, because I think a lot of us assume that it's those on these very high wages that have a higher standard of living. Not necessarily the case. Yeah, if you have a house like me, and you're elderly, you're okay, and you're actually doing very well. If you're in your early 30s and trying to find somewhere to rent, then you have difficulties. So yes, when you talk about standard of living, yes, it's high. It's high for a lot of people, but it's very difficult for some. So, um, but one tends to, when you compare co one country with another, you take averages. All right, uh, Mick, we talk as was about, about the rich and poor in this country. Is it really now the division in Ireland, if we look at those figures for a semi-detached in Dublin reaching a half a million, it's people who own their own home versus those who don't? Oh, I think so, definitely. I mean, and I, and I, I think it's about two-thirds of households are either homeowners or are, are, um, in social housing. And so you're talking about that third that's there. And that is the divide, and to the greatest extent, it's, it's a generational divide. And it's one I think that, you know, we need to be very careful about. I mean, I think John is absolutely correct in terms of how the money should be spent, but the politician's answer to that was be, you're not running for an election. And so you're, go you're, you're, you're going to see at the next election that there's going to be serious pressure, particularly uh, to, to, to spend money that will benefit those that are struggling. And I think anybody who's either going through a very high rents or attempting to buy a house, they are struggling. The big problem is how do you assist them without mucking up the economy in, 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 another, uh, in another way? And that's the kind of issue they'd need to grapple with. Unfortunately, the general uh, method that politicians tend to use is just go for the, anything that looks as if something has been done rather than that might be best for in, in terms of literally helping people and ensuring that the economy stays somewhere stable. And Annie, you will be one of those parties in opposition who's calling on the government to spend, spend, spend this corporation tax, throw it into things like housing. Are you heeding the warnings of people like John Fitzgerald? Yeah, I mean, we're not uh, suggesting every, uh, everything goes completely bananas. You know, we have to have an element <clears throat> of sensibility to it. But when we see people suffering, it's very hard to then tally that when we know that there is money somewhere that could help them. You know, we proposed, and um, when we're talking about getting getting stuff built, like we wanted to see construction workers or apprenticeship, apprentices be legally have to be paid a minimum wage because currently apprentices don't have to be paid a minimum wage and that was kicked to touch by the government. So, we, so even, this is even, trying to encourage more people yeah, so into we're putting apprenticeships really, so we can build more. Yeah, we're putting 
that's a practical solution we put on the table from the opposition and it was kicked to touch. You know, it takes you know, roughly three years maybe to train up an apprentice. We're three years into the lifetime of this government. So the right. argument that we can't do it, we could have done it by now. OK, look, at unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. But thank you to John McGahan, to Annie Hoey and to John Fitzgerald and Mick Clifford for joining me. That is it from us tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms and you can find us on Instagram and TikTok tonight DM. But from all of the late team here, good night and do take care.